and I have an incredibly special guest on today, uh, fresh off of doing too many questions about himself across the country. This is Dustin Fenley, director of Stray, here for the Dunedin New Zealand International Film Festival. Hello, Just Dustin. How are you? Good. I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Nah, it's, it's our it's our pleasure, honestly. Um, so Dustin is an Auckland-based, Australian-born director and screenwriter and has received multiple accolades for his films since 2006. He was selected for the Director's Lab at the prestigious Binger Film Lab in Amsterdam, for which only a few New Zealanders have ever been selected. Not only have his films been shown at over 100 film festivals worldwide, including Cannes, Toronto and Moscow, but his most recent effort won the Silver Saint Best Actor Award at the Moscow International Film Festival. So congratulations to you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's, an, it's an incredible achievement, especially for your first feature or your your first feature directorial debut. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a huge honour, and it was also the first New Zealand feature film to ever play at Moscow. And Moscow is the oh, wow. second oldest film festival in the world, so it was started in 1935, um, and Venice Film Festival was started in 33. So, yeah first NZ feature to play there so it was a huge honour and then Kieran as you said our lead actor won best actor against some really top international talent so that was really validating um, for him in particular and, and obviously for the whole team mm. behind Stray That's fantastic and now Stray the film in question um, it, it took a long time if from what I can gather because you crowdfunded it mostly didn't you that was the, the yeah yeah so in 2016 we did a massive crowdfunding campaign on a arts focus um nz crowdfunding platform called boosted so we raised one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. wow which is the most ever raised for a new zealand film on any crowdfunding platform and that was months of work in the lead up to that 30 day campaign. It's an all or nothing platform, so it was very risky. We originally set the target at 75K, hit that in 13 days, then raised it to 125. And in the last hour of the 30 day campaign, we hit 125. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was a uh, very, uh, very intense and overwhelming experience to get that much backing from so many people. You know, we had approximately 500 donors and, um, yeah, and that, that ultimately enables to make the film. We did try and make the film through, I guess, the more traditional routes in New Zealand, which is government funding, mm. you know, the New Zealand Film Commission funding. And um, that didn't work out at the time, so we made it as an independent film. And, you know, it wasn't just crowdfunding. It was also, of course, the generosity of all of the crew to work for reduced rates to be able to oh, wow. make the film have the level of the high level of craft that it does and you know technical excellence that it does and also um, we received like some key industry uh, support from Park Road Post in Wellington and also Queenstown cameras in Queenstown <laughs> and um, you know that that's why we could that's why the film belies its very modest hard cost cash budget because of because of that crew generosity and because of those key film industry sponsorships or investments yeah and i have to admit um reading about the film and hearing about that it does seem to transcend anything that you could call independent or or in anything i mean in terms of the low budget s stigma mm. that comes around that yeah it it looks like a beautifully polished film and i want to talk about um the setting a little bit because you shot it uh, here in the otago region didn't you yeah, we did. Um, so we, you know, shot in central and north Otago, and we shot over a number of 
places. So principally Queenstown, hmm. Queenstown, Cromwell, Alexandra, Luggett, Amadama, Otamatata, and um, a little bit near Omaru as well. And so we actually <laughs> were kind of this um, traveling circus making this film <laughs> over five weeks in winter. In, in, in fact, August, two years ago, basically, we were shooting two years ago this month wow. in winter because, it, you know, it's a winter alpine mm. snowy film. And, um, yeah, I'd always... I just find the landscape in Central uh, and North Otago just really inspiring, really... Mm. Because there's a duality. It's it's um, it's both beautiful and pristine, but it's also, particularly in winter, has a haunting, melancholic feel to it in winter. And uh, I just thought it was the perfect setting because ultimately, you know, the film is about these two lonely, lost souls, these two damaged people who are trying to restore their lives, are trying mm. to find their humanity again, which which they do which they're able to do through their time together and this this complex, uh, intimate relationship that they fall into. Hmm. Very well said, I think. <laughs> well, um, uh, this show talks a lot about uh, film soundtrack in particular, just because that's a personal interest of mine. But I think that one thing I really genuinely love about a lot of your films, especially your earlier short films, is you make excellent use of ambient and um, sort of uh, atmospheric sound. Now, does that come from your sort of, your hyper-realist aim um, for the films, or does that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. On, on the money, bro. Like, um, you know, the film, even the feature film, <laughs> Stray, it doesn't have a musical score. So it's 104 minutes long and there's no musical score. There are two wow. diegetic pieces of music, um in two scenes but there is no musical score and and you're totally right in the sense that from my short films i mean the feature is really an extension of the methodology and the style and approach directorially that i was playing with my short films and the feature was me able to do it on a much bigger canvas. Mm. So if you if you look at the style and sensibility of my short films, then and, and if you like those, then you'll like the feature film because I'm able to do it on a on a bigger canvas. And yeah, it's ultimately because I think I mean, look, I like all sorts of films, and of course, I love. Given only about one percent of films don't have musical score, clearly, I love a lot of films with score, mm. with musical composition with them. However, there is a danger. Um, with with score that that your that sometimes too much of the emotionality of the film is coming from this external source, coming from mm. the music rather than the characters or the circumstances that they're in, or so so it's it it comes from wanting to be as unmanipulative. You know, a shooing score, hmm. it, it, it comes from a desire to be as unmanipulative to the audience as possible, which means that the film has a very unique and, and somewhat strange psychological, emotional tension to it hmm. because the sheer absence of score unsettles people because, you know... Even more so than actually having a tense, quote-unquote, score. Yeah. You know, to, like the absence of it. So if you just... So, yes, so sound design, location sound, and then supplementing that with sound design is super important to me because I don't have 
either subtle music or big, bom- big bombastic music yeah. um, filling that space. And it's also very exposing to the actors in a way, but I think in a good way because it means that they're doing all the work. Mm. So whatever you're feeling and thinking is, is largely coming from them rather than it being aided or supported or lifted by music swelling you know at this point you feel sad at this point you feel contemplative yeah no i think that's a brilliant way of doing it and i think you're right i think a lot of the emotion and a lot of the meaning should come purely from the ability of the actors and then you facilitate their role purely with the setting and then the the set design etc um but in your films i think relationships are really key and they're often very much the center in your film snow um father and son in your film uh hawker uh, it was the father and presumably daughter, and it yep. was even better in that how strung out it was because you didn't even see the physicality of the daughter, which I thought was lovely. Yeah. In this film, the relationship, because it's just two main characters, mm-hmm. how have you managed to do what you did in a short 15-minute film over a two-hour film with um, just one relationship? How have you made it so that you get a full canvas, like you put it, of your... Yeah, well, I mean... The key thing to note is that they actually don't meet until the middle of the film. Oh. So it's an hour and 40 long, and they don't meet until the middle. So the film is is, is roughly structured him, her, them. Ooh. So it's... And, and the purpose of that structure is that we, the audience, know clues or information about each of their backstories and where they're coming from, because they're both um, fairly damaged people with trauma in their lives that they're still dealing with and grappling with and so then when they meet um and it becomes an intimate relationship then there's a tension to that because we don't know whether or not the bubble's ever going to burst we don't know Mm. whether or not they're ever going to find out that information and that information which is not a plot spoiler is essentially that for instance he's gone to prison you know jack is 21 he went to prison when he was 18 for trying to kill the man that killed his girlfriend in a hit-and-run car accident. And so it was a crime of revenge, retribution, crime Mm. of passion. He's now on parole, and he kind of skips town from the city, North Island, and and comes down to Central in this crib. And she is a recent immigrant to New Zealand from the Balkans, from Kosovo. And her... She's coming out of psychiatric care, this institution, and she's trying to reunite with her child, her six-year-old son, in mm-hmm. the town near where this cabin is. And so, um, to your answer your question, they they do spend a lot of time alone until the middle of the film. I'm very, very interested in, and in my short films too, very interested in observing people alone. Mm. Like, very interested in... In lonely people, in alienated people, people on the margins of society. But I'm also equally interested in their desire to connect with others and whether that works out or not. So in the short film, you know, what that boy's doing with that rabbit is is a way of trying to engage with his father. And there's also a distinct absence of the mother. Mm-hmm. So there's something, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a boy coming to terms with um, it, death, de- sorry, death, death. <laughs> and um, and that's just a very strange uh, way in which he does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm, yeah, I'm interested in... But in this film, Stray, I also was interested in not just alienation and the desire for connection and whether that works out or not between these two people, but also 
I was also interested in exploring uh, trauma and repair. Like, you know, mm. how does one repair? Is it possible? Is it only possible through connecting with another human being? You know, all all those questions were kind of the the juice and the thematic material that that inspired the story, and 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 also was why after as you said going back to your first question it was a long time in script development mm. and the film almost happened a couple of times and then the financing didn't work out and then we had to lower the budget to a very very modest amount and then we made it the way we did as an indie film and um, you know it was that it was it was principally that thematic material and what I wanted to say about society because the film's also in a way about um, the restorative justice system and it's mm. also about mental health but i hope it does it in a in a subtle way rather yeah. than in a polemical political way um because i mean i'm not an expert in either of those fields so i don't have all the answers and i don't want to make a didactic film regardless of the politics so um yeah i think that's a great approach and i think um, you mentioned that, like, sort of alienation. You don't want that to be the sole focus and the people connecting, etc. Um, did you want to, with your facilitation for that, when you were thinking of the setting and you mentioned, like, Otago, that that sort of very isolated, very mountainous region, and then in your other films as well, all these very natural, very isolated areas of the world, do you think that in when you create something, putting it in a place that's so completely cut away from everyone else, like you said, like, individuals seeing how they react on their own, is that how you reflected that is that how you wanted to make people feel when they watch the film with that setting yeah absolutely absolutely and it's also i mean it's two things one is to be honest i just find those natural environments and settings and landscapes cinematically inspiring and beautiful you know if you're going to make a quote-unquote low-budget film mm. but you want amazing production values better to point them at snowy mountains than a Graylin bedroom or a Dunedin bedroom, to be fair. Do you know what I mean? Like, know exactly you know, you like, uh, so because you, you, you can't buy, you know, what was important was that in the locations that a lot of them were pre-dressed by, by the natural environment. You know what I mean? Like forests and lakes and mountains. And if you travel, yes, there's cost involved in traveling to those locations mm. and accommodating those locations, but not as much as if you're having to build whole sets. Of you know, or other worlds. So it's, um, but yes, also it is about, I just like people, when I said before about on the margins of society, but I also like when they're on the margins of society in a place that is relatively um, sparsely populated. Mm. So, um, and I'm also, I, I think I'm also just interested in like the natural environment uh, and and people's i think it 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 when you when you take away the the busyness and the noisiness of the city and the urban environment there's something um you it, well for me it allows it throws the themes of the film into starker relief because mm. you're not distracted by um like the bustle, like the, the clutter. Yeah, the clutter, you know. And um, I think, you know, given the film is a very quiet, slow burn, gentle film, the the physical, the the the, the physical and oral 
uh, properties of where it's set are reflect that rather than in like the urban jungle because of course there are many great films and you could you know that there's of of, of alienation in the mm-hmm. urban or loneliness in in a metropolis for instance True. yeah I think that um, when you mentioned you worked on the film a few times and with the script especially and how you've had to adapt it um, I I read that you worked on it three separate times three separate very impressive institutions or at least so with the Cannes Film Festival the residents there and then the um, Binger Film Lab in Amsterdam and then Cinemart as well yeah so um, I didn't actually get into the the can residency it was shortlisted for it, it was short, that's all right yeah, I, it was shortlisted for that but yes i did do a six-month residency in amsterdam through the binger film lab which was an amazing kind of hot house of they select basically eight filmmakers from around the world with your first feature film mm. for you to be able to develop it and they fly in all these you know amazing international experts and mentors and it means that you come out of it with a far more rigorous uh, substantial sense of your own voice as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and also what it is that your film is about and what you want to say with your film even if it's not in a didactic way if you know what I mean and it uh, and then Cinemart is a uh, is part of the Rotterdam International Film Festival which is a co-production market so it was also selected for that Um, so yeah it it definitely had some uh, even before production it definitely had some international uh, interest or reach mm. yeah how do you think because it was an eight-year production if i understand it um or eight you know conceptualization yeah yep so i had the idea in 2008 we shot it in 2016 mm. yeah so how did it evolve from the original idea in 2008 to actually you know getting the cameras and filming it? how how do you think you evolved um mm. <laughs> tough question man how did i evolve um, I'll answer the first one because it's probably easier. <laughs> um, um, yeah, okay. So, well, you know, I had the idea in 2008. At that point, it was really all I had was a, I write from a, a, an intuitive... I don't write from a strategic structuralist point of view hmm. you know like a Sid Field Robert McKee you know these are the turning points and I don't I don't map it like that and I don't it's not mathematical or engineered in that way I write from more of a sense of tone and atmosphere and theme and so hmm. and usually a sense of landscape so basically at 2000 in 2008 it was really the notion of this young guy with his backstory this woman in her late 30s there was always a distinct age gap between them and also um with her backstory and i just knew it was in a alpine mountainous environment Mm. for three years i didn't really do anything with it i was making other short films i was working day jobs i was a film projectionist working full time i kind of didn't really and i was just still making short films and kind of Mm. i wasn't ready to make a feature in in 2011, I wrote the first draft for it. That was selected and in, for the Binger Film Lab in Amsterdam. In 2012, I did that for six months. And it was really doing the Binger that I really found what the film was, like what I, mm-hmm. you know. And then then 2013, did the cinema. You know, it was... Try, 
we tried to make it a much bigger film. It was like going to be a $2 million film. It was going to oh, wow. be, you know, a classic, what I mean, the more traditional model of NZFC funding, yeah. $2.3 million. You have all of the trucks. You have all of the gear. You Every department has four to five, six people in it. You got, you know, it, it was kind of like all the bells and whistles. Mm. And, um, and, um, and that, yeah, ultimately, uh, you know, it's a very long story why that didn't work out, but essentially it didn't work out. And yeah. so we decided to do it crowdfunding. And um, I would say ultimately that it was probably two years of, no, sorry, it was three years of active script. It was three years of active script development. Mm. That means that. I was working on a, you know, fairly part-time basis or in fits and starts, but if there were starts, it would be like, you know, a week and then not touch it for a month and then another week full-time. And I think what's tricky about... Well, it's it takes longer to write your first one because you're figuring it out. You're figuring out how you write, having only made short films, how do you tell a story over an hour and a half from only making something 5, 10, 15 minutes long? So it does... It's inefficient. You know, unless you're maybe Xavier Dolan or like some amazing Wunderkind who's just this brilliant young genius <laughs> who can make amazing films in their early, mid and late twenties, which I wasn't, then you know, um it takes a long time to and I think particularly to be honest with this film, because I'm interested in minimalism, you know, it's relatively sparse in its dialogue mm. and well, it's not really. It is sparse in its dialogue. And so I think trying to tell a very human story that's universal, that we're thing, when you're aiming for understatement, we're aiming for subtlety, in a way... <clears throat> because when usually when people start writing, they overwrite. Hmm. You know, they spell everything out. Everything's repeated. And... It's it's kind of on the nose in yeah, that sense. Yeah, exactly. And so, in a sense, like the screenwriting process for me was 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 pulling back and 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 you know le a less is more approach. Yeah, letting the audience absolutely because from... yeah because the other thing as well, man, is that the the you know I think with all filmmakers and artists, like you have your artistic intentions and ambition. Hmm. Like you want your film to be up here, yeah. but your ability sometimes due to lack of experience or whatnot even equipment like yeah your, your your ability to reach like i had a high level of ambition for the artistic you know uh, vision of the film but i didn't really know how to achieve that how, how do i make mm. a successful and i don't just mean commercially or festival wise i just mean how do i make an artistically successful film that works on its own merits and is mm. is is close to perfection of what it's aiming to be, but in a minimalist cinematic tradition, that's it was it was kind of harder than than it would seem. I mean, some people joke when they watch the film because it's not dialogue dialogue it's not dialogue driven, mm. and so they think, oh, there wasn't a script, or they're like, why did it take you so long to write? Which is obviously a misunderstanding of what screenwriting is, yeah. which screenwriting isn't just purely being able to write dialogue. Mm. Um, and in some ways, uh, when you when you um, 
either because you know and, and the thing is it's it's not minimalism for the sake of minimalism i mean the reality is that the reason why there's such minimal dialogue in the film is because for half the film they're alone yeah right so they're so alone they have no one to speak to I mean, it was kind of like at the Q&A last night um, in Christchurch. I uh, uh, It was the first time it kind of penny dropped all this time on. People were going, oh, it's highly and I what? And I was like, oh, it's just my taste. I was like, no, actually, there's a, uh, in terms of the reality of the characters, there's a really pragmatic reason. Yeah, there wasn't a means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they've, they're, they're, you know, it's a, a study of their loneliness mm. until they meet. Um, and then it becomes something else yeah. yeah well looking at how long it took you to make it and like sort of from a fairly holistic angle um would you have had it any other way would you've had it take less time would you've had it spend more time have it be your you know your you know your magnum opus that was like a, a longer period of time to plan or do you think that this was the perfect time space with the actors and the equipment you had the crowdfunding the you know the independence do you think this was the perfect opportunity and are you you know yeah it's a good question i think um at the time, in when we were going to shoot the film in 2015 and it fell over, I was devastated. I was like, almost gave up because I was like, without oh, wow. government funding, how are we going to make this film? Because I knew that I didn't want to shoot it in the Waitakere's in Auckland. I knew that I wanted it central and North Otago. Mm. It's more expensive to shoot down there because you've got to travel most of the people and you've got to accommodate everyone. You're not sleeping in a bit. So it was like... I didn't want to compromise the vision of the film, where it was set, where I wanted to shoot it, and 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 so, to be honest, at the time I was like, it's all over. You know, mm. I've got to give up. I've got to move on. I've got to get a real job. I'm getting older, or I need to start writing something more mainstream or commercial that's yeah. more likely to get funded, right? But basically, for whatever reason, I'm a pretty tenacious guy, so I just... And I also had a good support network. You know, I had my producer, Desiree Armstrong, and I had my partner, Cez Nidero, who's also an associate producer on the film, and also had Ari Wegner, the cinematographer, who I've known since 2004 at film school. Oh, wow. And so, essentially, those three people were like, you can't give up. You know what I mean? There'll be a way. Anyway, we found that way. And so to answer your question, I think that that actually, you know, I don't know if everything happens for a reason. I don't know if I buy that wholesale, that saying. It's a yeah. bit trite, obviously. But, okay, one interesting thing. If it weren't for the fact that the film got delayed, Kieran Charnock, who plays the lead actor, wouldn't have been in the film. Oh, wow. Another actor was cast in that role. And, you know, because of circumstances to the timing and availability we had to cast a new lead actor really close to the shoot now i can't imagine anyone else playing that role and at the first film festival we played at overseas he won best actor wow you know what i mean like so i think you know in that sense i guess that is an example of everything's mm. happened for a reason at the time you just they're like oh my god my film's over i've lost my lead actor what am i going to do yeah and um but also, uh, it did give me, through those years, it did give me a lot of time to know exactly what I wanted. I knew going into that film exactly what I wanted. I knew so clear about my vision and how I wanted to shoot it. And and I think that it wouldn't have been executed to that um, level hmm. if I didn't go into that the chaos of 
what a feature film shoot is because it's just physically exhausting, particularly in winter. Of course. In in those locations, um, you get physically tired and then you get mentally exhausted and 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 if you don't have a really strong vision, then you can get overwhelmed by like just the machine because once the train leaves the station on that first day you've got 30 consecutive shoot dates mm. and by the end of it you're just going on pure adrenaline and oh, and cool. yeah so so i guess basically i think it worked out um it was it was probably the right thing for the project and um and i mean the short answer is i'm really happy with the film and i'm really <laughs> proud of the film so i don't really regret any of the circuitous pathways that oh, it took to get it and I probably was um, a more considered director by the time I actually got the privilege and opportunity to get on set and actually make my first film first feature Oh, God, yeah. Well, I think there's no real better testimonial for anyone who's still on the fence about watching Stray the, uh, um, at the NZ International Film Festival. And you're playing today at 5.30 and tomorrow at 12.45, is that right? Yep, at the region. Which is which should be awesome. I'm very excited. I'm going to try and make the one tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Cool. And you'll be there for a Q&A on both days. Yep, yep. Half-hour Q&A after both sessions. Yep. Awesome. And now um, I'm sort of going to try and start a tradition with the show, and I have two final questions to ask. Uh, first question is... Uh, uh, is there a director who you think who has affected you most stylistically? And uh, and then second question is uh, film to watch that isn't your film for the film festival. Yeah, tough tough question. Um, probably if I have to name one director, they think <laughs> might have influenced me the most for ah. this film. Uh, it's hard to be definitive about that. But uh, probably Kelly Reichardt. She's an American independent filmmaker. She made films like Wendy and Lucy and Meek's Cutoff and Certain Women and Old Joy and another film I can't remember the name of right now. (laughs) And um, what film... You know what? I've been so busy. I haven't barely seen any films. (laughs) Um, But... uh, yeah, I'll have to... Have oh, to actually, no. I can tell you, yes. A film that I still haven't seen that is, is, a, is a Kiwi film, documentary, uh, about Merita Mita, Happy oh. Mita's, you know, her son's film. Uh, looks amazing, and um, I've heard amazing things, so I hope I can still get a chance to see it. Um, at the festival. Oh, no, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I think that there's no real questions about people who, if they're still thinking about watching Stray, it's, I'm, I should watch Stray now. That's something I should do. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Dustin. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you very much.